Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. This is England is Burning. It is the 25th of April, 2021. It is Sunday. This is your Chelsea weekly feature for this particular week. It is uh, several days since uh, football Armageddon nuclear war started and then ended. The quickest uh, rise and fall of a league ever in in all the sports ever, but we're going to not really talk too much about that. We're going to talk actually about stuff on the pitch today. I have Rob back from the CFCW social to talk about Chelsea's most recent two matches uh, that came up this past week against Manchester city, which put gave Chelsea one hand on the WSL trophy and just happening uh, or happening hours ago it just ended the first leg of their Champions League semifinal tie at Bayern Munich uh, which ended two to one in favor of Bayern so Rob thank you for coming back on that's all right pleasure as always so I'm not going to talk too much about the uh, the Super League and the fact that it was the uh, quickest rise and fall of a sports league in the history of all time, uh, but I did want to get a uh, get a just get a read on how are how are Chelsea fans feeling now in now that it has come and has gone. How do how are fans feeling about the club and and so forth in relation to the the Super League? Um, uh, again, I have to be a bit careful what I say here because I'm going to say I don't represent the voice of the fans, but I will say there was a Chelsea Supporters Trust meeting yesterday and it's very clear both the Supporters Trust and the Chelsea Pitch Owners Association, um, as well as a number of sort of other fan pages that I know of, are feel like this has been a major error, feel like a lot of the trust between the club and the board and the fans, which they've worked hard on building up through actions in the community, and I will say that I will not, like, you know, um, during the coronavirus pandemic, the club, for example, I think it would be fair to say have been one of the leading lights in the Premier League on it. A lot of the goodwill towards that has been completely burned. And there is now sort of serious questions, I would say, about the role of certain members in the board, especially, because it is increasingly clear that this was something that, A, Chelsea only signed up to at the last minute, but B, also, it wasn't a unanimous decision. It was something sort of forced on by a few members of the board. And so ultimately they're going to be the ones to take the fall for it, I think. Has anyone from the Chelsea board or executive leadership or the owner himself made any apologies to the fans, made any, any statements well, there was related a, there was a to contrition? There was a club statement released the other day that in, in all honesty, I wasn't particularly, I wasn't 100% happy with. Again, it sort of split the fans again mm. in that they sort of, acknowledged it and said they wouldn't do it again, but didn't directly say sorry. And I think a lot of people are looking for that. And I think the big word I would use is accountability. There is a lack of, you know, name people coming out here and saying, well, you know, X, Y, Z did this, so they need to, you know, go. And ultimately we've seen the Premier League already asking for the likes of Bruce Buck to step down from the various Premier League committees and Mm -hmm. what have you. And I think we now need to see that internally with new appointments made in sort of some of these key boardroom positions. It's clear their position in a lot of fans' eyes is untenable. Okay. And so, because, I mean, I've been on record as being, is basically saying, and I've been online about it, that any, 
any of the six clubs that were involved and in, in all six all six of them with the exception of liverpool uh are in the wsl as well i I've, i've my position has been very clear that all of the executives or anyone involved in signing on to the this super league and so forth need to be held in some way majorly accountable for it mm-hmm. uh you know because a, a major breach has happened across the board uh and so forth so i i will maintain I that um and i'm going to maintain that stance um you know moving forward until uh whoever is uh on whichever of the six teams all the six teams uh they either step down move on whatever it is and so forth and i'm in complete we are in complete support at england is burning for the the fan protests that are continuing to happen with the other teams uh mm-hmm. as well um and so for last question on the subject what do you think I know you can't speak for the Chelsea fans out there, so I know you want to be careful. But what do you think will uh, assuage them at this point? What will need to happen? What will Chelsea need to do as a football club to try to kind of earn some of that trust back? I mean, there are a number of measures put out in the sports trust meeting, and indeed there is a motion that is going to be voted on in the net that is now available to be voted on. If you know, if you are listening to this, you are a member of the sports trust, please do vote on the motion. Um, I don't want to go into detail about those particular pieces at the moment. They are confidential. However, I think that significant change needs to be made at a boardroom level at all the clubs. And there needs to be a reminder that this was the reminder that, you know, the fans are ultimately the most important thing. And I think, you know, regardless of whatever element of profits and things like that you have in the modern game, football does not exist without the fans at any level. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a big reminder of it. The other thing I would also say to me that it probably that, that probably has been shined out is that there needs to be some form of sanctions. I do not support sanctions that are punitive against the players, i.e. bans from mm-hmm. a European tournament or bans from playing mm-hmm. in, a, in XYZ because ultimately it is quite clear from the backlash we've seen from them and the management as well the and the of the club of the team management that they were not involved in this were not part of it and in all cases thoroughly rejected it um you saw that and again i have to say you know i have tremendous respect for pep guardiola for coming out and speaking so plainly about it and also about uefa fifa because i think you know it's important to reference that uefa fifa should not come out of this as some sort of bastions of football as is threatening as sort of bastions of fair play which is threatening to be the case in some circles um I would support any sort of measures that range from transfer bans to tournament bans in Europe to points deductions to government legislation being brought in to control it. Ultimately, it can't be allowed to happen again. And if there is going to be any sort of, you know, I've already seen rumours of this British Super League with Celtic Rangers joining it that you for FIFA back. Ultimately, it's a nonsense suggestion again, and I hope there would be vehement, loud protests against it. Because... As soon as we start having one Super League becoming a sort of idea or one sort of idea like this manifesting, you immediately start to have a threat of, you know, one will lead to another, will lead to another, and then suddenly Mm -hmm. we'll have a Super League by back door. Right. Right. And that seems to happen in a lot of situations where you have a slippery slope scenario. You let one thing happen, which then becomes a slippery slope and a whole bunch of other things happen. And then suddenly, you know, uh, Senator Palpatine Florentino Perez uh, is now, you know, running a league uh, and uh, who's someone who probably shouldn't even be running a sports club. 
Um, so, uh, but enough of that because we got a lot of action on the pitch this past week, particularly uh, in, when we, in regards to Chelsea that we need to talk about. I think that the people listening to this show probably have had enough of listening to about Super League stuff uh, and probably want to hear about stuff that actually happened on the pitch, particularly with Chelsea, uh, because it's been a pretty, don't know, week, uh, but a big one in terms of, let's start with Wednesday, the, uh, the big draw at, at Manchester City 2-2. Um, and in looking at Emma Hayes' reaction, I've never seen a manager be so happy with a draw <laughs> before uh, because she knew that 2-2 draw would probably put at least one hand for Chelsea women on that WSL trophy. Rob, what, are, what were your reactions, your thoughts to Wednesday's match I mean, at City? First, I will say that and I said this on uh, Tuesday evening when I went on the Women's Football Day uh, the women, uh, Women's Football's Day coverage, is that the game was always going to be a fantastic spectacle for the neutral. It was an absolute credit to WSL. Both teams are a credit. And this year, it has been a proper title race between two top sides that, quite frankly, are you know a million miles ahead of everyone else in that league, whatever Arsenal and Manchester United fans might think. Um, and whoever won it this year is going to win it on merit more than last year, which is the sort of big thing because I think although Chelsea fans are happy to win the title last year it was not a proper title because of the nature of PPG and ultimately it it had that feeling where you know it was like well it's nice to win it but ultimately when something isn't played to conclusion you're sort of working on ifs buts and maybes in this case I think Chelsea Chelsea came into the game knowing they had to not lose and they did exactly that um, I think possibly at times they were poor in terms of clinical finishing when they had big chances because I think they created a lot of big chances and should have, you know, wrapped the game up. At the same time, credit to City, they had a lot of possession, they had a lot of possession in and around the box. And ultimately, if the final ball had been better on a lot of occasions or there'd perhaps been a little bit more composure, they could have done serious damage. Um, obviously, so the opening goal... Sam Kerr's sort of header from the corner, I think that was one that really would frustrate City because that's the sort of goal that you don't want to concede mm-hmm. in a big game. But mm-hmm. to their credit, they went up all the other end almost immediately. I mean, Chelsea missed one chance to sort of effectively, I think, make it 2-1 and seal it. And then City went straight up the other end and took advantage. And it was always going to be that sort of match. Um, personally, from a Chelsea perspective, I thought the penalty decision was the correct decision. I think Roebuck was unlucky. I think she did get the ball, but I also think she caught mm-hmm. Sam Kerr significantly enough. And in a position like that, as the keeper, you've got to take all ball before catching the player, if you catch the player at all. And I think, you know, that was the issue in this case. Penilla Harder steps and sort of rolls at home. And at that point, despite City's possession and all of their sort of time on the ball, every time Chelsea did get a break, they did look very threatening. And again, it's one of those ones where on another day, a bit like when they played them early in the season, on that day they went ahead and it was 2-1 and then suddenly went and made it 3-1 through Frank Kirby. Um, and sort of went from being 2-0 to 2-1 and then to 3-1. And that sort of flattered Chelsea somewhat at the time. Mm-hmm. The City were pushing. But in this one, Chelsea didn't get that third goal. And obviously that was always going to mean City were going to press more and more. Um, an uncharacteristic sort of back pass from Kirby. And I think it was just, you know, pure exhaustion. Uh, gave the ball up to City in fair play, ball inside. 
Brighton Liverpool's between them. I don't know what they were doing. Should have cleared it. But Lauren Hemp was there to finish well. And as soon as that happened, it felt like there was a momentum shift. And I think, you know, ultimately, we have to say, people talk about big goals being decisive moments. In this game, you had a major save. Because mm-hmm. the save from Anne Catherine Berger, again, I've heard, I've heard an awful lot of nonsense over the last 18 months about women goalkeepers and criticism bashing from people that clearly don't watch the game on a regular basis and just pick out these horrendous clips. Well, you know, you could do the exact same in the men's game. Um, uh, Zach Steffen, for la- la- example, last week during the uh, FA Cup semi-final being caught in no man's land against Chelsea and allowing Zerch to happen into the empty net. Uh, you could just pick out a random clip like that and that does not make them a bad goalkeeper. But this was a terrific reaction save. I mean, I thought initially that uh, it had been headed onto the post, onto the crossbar, because I didn't realise the arm had gone up so quickly to block it. Mm-hmm. And after that happened, it did feel a little bit like that had a mentality effect on both teams because it almost spurred Chelsea on to a second wind and it deflated City a little bit because then they struggled to sort of create those real clear-cut chances. They had that bronze effort late into added time where, again, I, I thought she should have done better. I thought she should have at least hit the target. I think if she hit the target with that header, she would have scored because of the distance she was in. Um, and then obviously at the very end of it, Beth England's flick on for Sam Kerr and Kerr could have put it away. It was good keeping from Roebuck. I think, you know, looking back on it, Kerr will be disappointed she didn't maybe place it a little bit more or maybe even go around the goalkeeper because of how far Roebuck was out. But I think ultimately Chelsea knew they needed to not lose and they didn't lose. And that's the important, you know, that that's the real key thing to take out of that game for them, regardless of performance. The important thing was the result on a day like this. It, it's interesting that that games like this, you know, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, and, and I think that's absolutely correct, it's a showcase for the league. Clearly, the two best teams in the league are the two best teams uh, on paper and on the pitch. They're, they are, uh, I'm totally in agreement with you, they are miles ahead uh, of everybody else. And so them competing together uh, against one another with essentially with a trophy on the line uh, Mm -hmm. is what you want. You want to have that. And so it's a game where one of the the terms is used in football that I least like, or one of them that I least like is the idea of fine margins. Mm -hmm. But because I'm like, well, you know, this is a game and this, this uh, was an example of it where the big, your big stars, your big players step up. Mm. You know, this is a game yeah. where where Chelsea needed all their top players to step up, and for the most part, they did. Uh, and the same thing was on the other end in regards for City needed all of their players to step up, and most of them did. You mm. know, for the most part, yeah. and so it was a it was a spectacle. And but the key was always going to be. Who was going to get the first goal first? Who was going to get that momentum charge first? And you basically, you know, the game plan was, well, City was going to have possession. They were going to try to spread everything out and try to pull the defense apart and then move in between the spaces and try to get in the box by a cross one, from one direction or another. Everyone knows what City's going to do, but also everyone knows what Chelsea's going to do too. Mm. Uh, and Chelsea was pretty comfortable with not having the ball. Because they're like, mm, we can counter. We'll just and and we'll be dangerous because they 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 so many times they played City. It's like you know every and in the previous matches I've seen, Chelsea has always been pretty dangerous. You know, countering against 
uh, getting the ball back from City. So that was not surprising. But the key was going to be that first, uh, the first goal. And I was kind of surprised at how that first goal happened. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I was... of, all of, the, of all of the ways that a first goal could have happened in Chelsea City, I think right. uh, the header was... from a set piece would have been, or certainly a header from an outswing header from a set piece, would have been low on the list because both sides are usually so good at defending those crosses and those situations. Yeah, uh, so I was really surprised in, in, uh, because uh, I, I don't recall the last time I saw Cam, Sam Kerr hit a header, uh, but she did, uh, and so forth. And I think City was, I remember this very distinctly, I think City was, ex- was pretty rattled at, right after that. And yeah. Chelsea almost made it 2-0 as a result. I mean, I think Chelsea went in for the went in for almost a knockout punch, like, oh, let's get another one, let's get another one. And I was like, the thought that went through my head was, uh-oh, there's this could be the dominoes again of Chelsea where they get one goal and quickly get a second goal and then the other team is out of it. Mm-hmm. It could be, but credit the city, because City then pulled it together and they came right back and their key, their key players, Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp connected got a goal and we're back online with a one one uh and so forth and and that was you know and it kind of moved forward from there uh yeah that penalty it was definitely a penalty uh, mm-hmm. and you know i know i mean i know what ellie roebuck was trying to do we all it was pretty obvious what she was trying to do but she caught both she yeah. got the ball and the player uh the player went down you know uh penalty was a really good penalty that was struck by Pernell Harder. Uh, I would rather, r- rather than criticising Robic in this situation, I'd, I'd like to credit Sam Kerr because you, mm-hmm. as soon as the foot race happened, you sort of felt that there's a chance here. And as soon as she got that initial sprint off, you could see the bit of danger. And mm-hmm. I think it went through the City player's mind, do I tug them back? Mm, and yeah. that, there's a big opportunity cost because if they'd have done that, that would have been a straight red. And I think in Roebuck's case, Roebuck had to come out because if Roebuck just, you know, stayed on her line and allowed Sam Kerr to come forward, by all likelihood, Sam Kerr's either just blasting it past her or placing it past her. And you can be the best goalkeeper in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, if a striker's shooting at you from six yards out, the likelihood is if they get good connection, they're going to score. Mm-hmm. So I can completely understand that. What I was a little surprised at was that after Roebuck did come out, the lack of a yellow card um, mm-hmm. for the challenge... Because mm-hmm. I, I thought that was in the, the law. Again, I heard people asking on social media saying, you know, why isn't this a red card? Um, I mean, I, I think, A, it was a genuine attempt to play the ball, so it shouldn't have been. And B, I don't like seeing red cards for things like that. It ru- it would have ruined the game as a spectacle, and it wouldn't have mm-hmm. been, you know, beneficial to the nature of it. I also think it would have left a sour taste in the mouth. Uh, and, you know, I'll be honest, I think Chelsea would have gone on and won it if they'd been up against 10 players, especially with City out there. First-choice goalkeeper, they likely would have had to sacrifice one of Hemp, Kelly, or possibly, you know, one of the midfielders and lose a bit of control there. And that would have made it, you know, easier. Not to mention there was also the penalty. So in that regard, I'm quite happy with it. But, yeah, it, it was a, a bit of an odd one because I, I, I thought that there would be a sort of yellow card for it. And that was the one time I thought the referee perhaps was a bit lenient. Again, you suppose you can argue the penalty in itself is punishment enough. Um, I mean, that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't think it warranted a card, mm. but it would warranted a penalty. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah, totally, totally valid. I I I I always thought at some point, and again, I may be wrong here, that somewhere in the rules it says if you give a penalty away nowadays, there is a need to give some sort of card alongside of it. And I thought that was one of the 
rule change. But I have to be honest, I've lost complete track of where we are with various refereeing rules um, in the new age of refereeing that we're in nowadays. But I will say I thought Rebecca Welch was a, again, has recently done an EFL game um, and was roundly praised for it. And I thought, again, she was excellent in the game, understood that it was going to be a feisty and intense match. There was going to be a lot of niggly fouls, but wasn't standing for any nonsense, wasn't letting the players have, you know, their two penneth into it, was giving cards when, apart from in that situation, was giving them, you know, for the right kind of fouls, wasn't, was trying to play advantage where possible and keep the game flowing. And ultimately that's what you want to see in a top game because these were two sides that were going to attack. And I, I, you know, overall, I think City, when they look back on the 90 minutes, I don't think there's much more they could have done. I, I don't think it's a case that City played badly. Um, and, I, you know, I said this to some City fans afterwards, that ultimately on the day, it was one of those days where Chelsea just dug in there and just had enough to sort of dig in. But it didn't, to me, feel like the sort of game where, as a City fan, you could look at it and say, we really let our, you know, we really didn't perform to expectation in this game. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, looking at all of the statistics and all the numbers, it is you know it is pretty even, and there's no there's no number that really sticks out that says that either team played badly or unwell or anything like that. It's just you know, chances were there were in some situations that you previously mentioned where you know chances were not converted. Um, but that was to be said on both sides. I mean, City had seven shots on goal. I mean, Chelsea only had, actually only had two. Mm. Um, but that's sort of the nature of kind of how both teams kind of played this game out. Um, I mean, City, of course, had had most of the possession, had most of the shots on target, um, and so forth, had most of the passes, uh, had better passing accuracy, but that was all to be expected. Um, you know, uh, the XG of the match was 1.5 for a city and 2.1 for Chelsea. So extremely close in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, now I want to get to Anne Catherine Berger because uh, I said, and I think 90% of the people out there said that she was the player of the match uh, for you know, and not just, you know, for the whole match, but that lat that save where she just quickly you know, just knocked that a hand hitting the ball over the bar right near the end uh, was like, I expected that shot to go in. I thought that shot was going in mm. until I saw the ball bounce, just pop out uh, and so forth. I was like, yeah. that was an amazing stop um, and so forth. And, and that's why, and, and it's, I know you and I have talked about her several times that's why you have a have a goaltender like that on your team because when it comes to games like this they may have not a whole lot to do mm-hmm. or they may have a lot to do but when it when they need to come through they come through and yeah. she's done it time and time and time and time again for Chelsea over and over again and this was one of those times and that's what pres- I think that's what preserved this draw yeah, I would agree. And the, the sign that I've always said, the sign of a world-class goalkeeper is a player that can have absolutely nothing to do for 89 minutes and then in the 90th minute can make that crucial save or that crucial block or come and claim that corner. And it's that that separates the world-class goalkeepers, of which there is a very small minority, from the very good goalkeepers who are good for, say, 88 minutes and then for those two minutes aren't so good. 
or mm-hmm. have issues or, you know, fumble that key shot or only palm away an effort when they should catch it. Um, and again, sort of Emma Hayes said it herself after the game that she thinks that the two best goalkeepers in the world are AKB and also Enla, who was also on Chelsea's books at one point. And again, it didn't really work out when Enla was at Chelsea and there was a lot of, you know, upset about that. And ultimately, after getting Lindahl in, sort of softened the blow. But I mean, when you look at the fact Chelsea, in theory, have had that sort of progression of goalkeepers and also have, you know, excellent players in number two during that time, people like Carly Telfin, now as Akira Mushevich, um, sort of there as a sort of backup options. They've always had a very strong sort of option in that position and very strong ability. Um, and it, yeah, I think it was, you know, just one of those ones where you just had to, yeah, you admire when you talk about good attacking players, there are sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, well, we're beaten by a brilliant strike. In this case, you have to just hold your hands up and say, well, we were denied by a brilliant piece of goalkeeping. And mm-hmm. I think that's what, you know, from a City perspective, you're frustrated about mm-hmm. it, obviously. But that's because it's such a sort of surprising thing in that regard. Because again, again, I thought the ball was just going to fly into the corner of the net. And mm-hmm. I was at that point panicking about, you know, 10 minutes effectively to try and get a goal against a City side that are well-versed on the counter-attack themselves. Right. And I think it was mm-hmm. crucial and important that at no point during the game City ever took the lead mm-hmm. um, because that, I think, would have made a complete different dynamic in the match. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll get to we'll get back to AKB, uh, who has had some pivotal moments against Bayern. But the la- my, my last statement uh, is uh, Millie Bright had mm. a couple of errors uh, that that were pretty critical. What, what are your what were your thoughts about her in this in this particular match? Millie Bright had one of her lesser games in WSL. Um, I think it's fair to say. I think she looked uncomfortable about her regular partner alongside of her, and I think mm-hmm. possibly it was also playing in her mind that the last time she was without her regular partner was uh, the Atletico Madrid first leg, um, and obviously in that game Sophie Ingle was sent off after about ten minutes, and that caused a real sort of situation. I also will give credit to Millie Bright is one of those defenders that does like trying to play out from the back and does like being able to give him the time to pass it out. And a lot of the time mm-hmm. she also get that time in WSL. Manchester City had their press superbly, especially early on, forcing Chelsea to go long. And initially that really wasn't working. And that was why City were monopolising possession early on because it wasn't working. It was only after Chelsea made a little bit of a switch in that they pushed Erin Cuthbert. Uh, I think they swapped her round and brought her on to Sam Mewis and just sort of sat her on Sam Mewis, that City's passing engine stopped for a little while because Cuthbert was just an absolute menace. And even if she wasn't doing a lot herself with the ball, she was doing a lot to stop Mewis getting the ball. And that also then meant City couldn't feed it into the wings as easily. They had to go back through the fullbacks. And so if you've got that situation, well, whenever a fullback goes forward, that opens up space in behind. And with people like Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr, they're the sort of channels they're going to ultimately run into. And Chelsea's second goal came from Kerr exploiting that channel in behind Lucy Bronze and running in and making that diagonal run back inside. Um, I think Bright was I think Bright was poor, but ultimately, you know, that does happen with players. And Bright's been so good for the rest of the season. You're sort of willing to overlook that. I, w- I will also give real credit again to Jess, Jess Carter at fullback. She came back in um, as a sort of recent renaissance, continues and played very very well. Uh, I think City got a lot. They did get some joy out of her in the first half with uh, the initial hemp cross that was sort of she should have probably blocked 
um, for the opening goal. But other than that, they didn't really manage to do a lot down that wing. And it was mainly down the other side where John Anderson's had, you know, she had a poor game, I thought, midweek. And she was particularly poor again against Bayern. She's had a difficult week in regards to sort of, you know, her ability. And she's a very good player herself. And that's because she's up against top players. And ultimately, you do see that. So a question of the day or one of the questions of the day, Rob, is the WSL trophy Chelsea's now? No, not now. It, it, it would be rude. It would be, it'd be rude to the other teams in WSL and particularly unfair to the fact that we've still got, you know, two games to play. There is still points to be achieved. If Chelsea perhaps had won the game, then I think you'd comfortably say from the final two games, they were going to get a point, but at the moment, they still, you know, need to take it with much respect. They've got a game against Tottenham next time out, which obviously, again, they will be hoping to win. But at the same time, Spurs will see it as a chance to really, you know, put a major scalp and really dent their London rivals. And on the final day, Chelsea play Reading. And obviously, Reading shouldn't be taken um, sort of, you know, lightly because they've proven multiple times that they are a very tough nut to crack. Um, and they will, you know, perennially be a tough nut to crack. So, it's not done yet. It was a big, you know, big step on the way there. And ultimately it was a big as a morale boost for Chelsea's. It is probably a sort of morale dampener for Manchester City. But until the title is mathematically won, Emma Hayes won't be letting up at all on the WSL side. Well, it's Reading that is the difference between Chelsea and Manchester City in terms of the of the table is because City uh, City has a draw. Uh, against Reading, uh, mm. which is the different the difference in the two points uh, sits right there. Uh, a rather disappointing one one draw when they were kind of putting things uh, in order with their new manager uh, back in October uh, and so forth. So, but you know, I had to ask uh, because um, you know I, I think Emma Emma Hayes was trying to contain herself at the same time be excited. <laughs> At the prospect of okay, we did it. We got that. We got you know at least one point out of this, uh, and we didn't lose, which was the, really the goal. Uh, and now we can move on to flying out to Germany. So let's so let's talk about and and in the original days of England is burning when we used to be called Manchester is burning. We used to have instant reactions to games because we would be on right after games. So now we get a chance to talk to you, Rob. Just moments, well, not moments, that's a lie, but hours after mm. Chelsea's match against Bayern in, in, uh, in Munich, uh, 2-1 to, to Bayern, but, but the key is the, the one away goal, mm. first leg of the Champions League semifinal. Your, your reactions to Bayern earlier this, this afternoon, this evening? So I think, for, firstly, I'll say that um, ultimately, every single one of the teams left in the tournament can still win it. I did not. I've heard various people in the last few days describe Chelsea as favourites for the tie and for the tournament, and I, you know, I detest that notion. I think every single one of them is still there. And to my argument, PSG are favourites because they knocked out Leon's, Leon's like Spain last week. Um, from the first leg, I think it was a frustrating game. Would be the phrase I would use for it. I think Bayern got their tactics spot on, and they didn't necessarily come out to play expansive football. They came out to do a spoiling job on Chelsea and to play on the break to take advantage of their perceived weakness in sort of John Anderson's defensive ability um, and generally to sort of, you know, do those annoying niggly fouls in the middle of the pitch just to disrupt the game um, and to be quite willing to go down themselves. Um, it was a... 
ultimately, I think Chelsea will be disappointed to not take more than one away goal um, because there were chances to certainly do that. Penilla Harder had a very good chance. Giso Young hit the crossbar. Beth England had a couple of chances as well. But Chelsea will also look at it and say, well, coming back to Kings Meadow, hopefully with Magda Eriksson fit, maybe with Dean Charles also in at the back, um, and also Sophie Ingle in the midfield, because I think that's somewhere where that Chelsea really missed her today. Um, they will sort of, you know, certainly feel they can turn the tie around. It's not as if it's completely, you know, dead and buried, but it is a dangerous, dangerous scoreline. Certainly is a dangerous scoreline, but I mean, the key is that it is 2-1. Uh, and I mean, there is that away goal. So essentially, you know, a 1-0 a at Kings Meadow would do it. Would, would would move them on, uh, and, and tactically speaking, I, you know, Bayern, you, I, I think you're absolutely right. Their their tactics were really uh, meant to neutralize what Chelsea does best, and then made them a little uncomfortable at times. Uh, you know, in, in doing so, um, in term, really particularly also in their line of engagement of where they engaged the Chelsea offense in the first half. And then when you compare it to how they kind of did a little bit of a switch up in the second to even frustrate Chelsea even more, where it really, uh, Bayern was like the first team that I'd seen to really neutralize Chelsea's scoring opportunities um, and make it just make it make it harder, which is what I mean in a in a Champions League semifinal. That's what you would expect to happen from a quality side like Bayern Munich. But um, but as far as tactically speaking, they were you know they were pretty uh, pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and needless to, needless to say, though Chelsea did have their moments, and I can I can I can I understand the frustration. I think I guess where you know there were moments where it's like yeah they could have gotten another goal they could have gotten you know a convert conversion of an opportunity and it just didn't I mean I, 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 I will say that I think you know a two two would have been a much happier scoreline to take there because well, of course. Mm-hmm. but uh, no, I, I'll explain why uh, not okay. just because of the not just because of the it being sort of tied but. With one away goal, it now means that effectively Bayern know if they score at Kings Meadow. And this is a bit like with Chelsea against Wolfsburg in the last round. Bayern know that if they get that goal early, then it effectively wipes out the Chelsea game plan completely and they still need to score twice, which is something they've still already failed to do over 90 minutes just to get it into extra time. To do that, Chelsea will need to push players forward. And when they started doing that today, that's when the gaps really started to emerge. And that's clearly somewhere where Bayern can be so clinical on the break. Whereas if you have a 2-2, even if you go 1-0 down on the night, you still have that buffer of that extra away goal. So it doesn't really change your game plan because you'll still work on the basis that you need to score. Um, And that game plan doesn't really change. And then they still need to score a second one anyway, because if you then score, they're going out because of the two away goals that you have. So that's why I, I, you know, 2-2 to me is a better scoreline than 2-1. And I know that's not obvious, but I would also argue it's a better scoreline than a, it's a better scoreline than a 1-1 in that regard. Because the sure. 1-1, even if though it's the same draw, if you take that back, then suddenly, as soon as they score, not only do you still need to score, the away goal's been wiped out. So, uh, interesting thing that happened to me as I was watching this match, I missed the first goal. Uh, something happened with the with the feed or whatever. I don't know what happened, yeah, but I was like watching it and all of a sudden I got like a blank screen. 
And I was like, so what happened on the first goal, Rob? So the, the opening goal for Bayern or the uh, Chelsea goal? Yeah, the opening goal for Bayern. I'm sorry. So uh, Bayern were sort of broken down the right-hand side through Hannah Glass, who I, I thought pound for pound was the best player on the pitch uh, throughout the entire game. It was a cross came in that AKB came to claim and sort of fumbled. And she fumbled it just nicely enough to put it back up into the air for uh, Lerman to sort of come on into. And Lerman came onto it well, the good header, and headed it down to- towards the ground. Millie Bright was back on the line um, and could have maybe cleared it. It would have been quite harsh to say she should have cleared it. But there was a chance to clear it, but she couldn't get it back off the line. But it's one of those where AKB has been so good all season. It It was a poor mistake, but... It's so uncharacteristic for her. It's not something I'm going to directly blame her for. Again, the issue was that, and Chelsea saw this several times beforehand because Glass had a couple of warning crosses that either sailed over or went wide. It was the issue of the space in behind John Anderson because Anderson kept trying to go forward on the front foot. And every time she did that, there was a big bit of space in behind. And Bayern clearly knew that and were, were playing the ball in, in between the lane of um, Millie Bright and... Uh, no, not many right. Sorry, of uh, Jan, of Sophie Ingle and Jan Anderson, and that was causing a big issue because Ingle couldn't really come across because then that left a big space in the middle, and Anderson couldn't get back in time. So effectively, she had the freedom of the final third to put crosses in, and that's always going to be a problem when you're a top team. And I, I do not like to use the word luck. Uh, also, I, I think you, I, I, you know, I think. Um, I'm like Han Solo in Star Wars. You create your own luck. You put yourself in position for for good things to happen. So that leads me to the first Chelsea goal where essentially, I mean, I've watched the replay several times, but this is what it looked like. Uh, So basically ball comes in on a free kick and hits a Bayern player. And I think a Bayern player hit it with her head and then it bounced off and got, and then hit Leibolz's head and then went into the net. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's how I understand it as well. It was a bizarre, a bizarre sort of goal. Although all game by and look really susceptible at set pieces, and I do think mm-hmm. Chelsea will try and take advantage of that again next week with the good set piece operators that they have. It was a good delivery in towards the back post, and it caused chaos. And there were heads up there. I mean, ultimately, it probably was. Uh, uh, you know, it is ultimately a lucky goal. I'm going to go ahead and say that, but you you are right in that you make your own luck. So it was a lucky in the way it was conceded, but it wasn't lucky to score it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You have to be in the right position, have the players in the right position. Obviously, it came back off Liverpool's like that, but on another day, you know, the clearance could have just gone straight to Sam Kerr and she could have put it away or it could have been deflected to Kirby who sort of puts it away. So it's not so much... That that's the issue. And then right afterwards, I thought Chelsea should have went 2-1 up there. That lovely flowing move mm-hmm. that Farmer putting it over the crossbar. And I said at the time that felt like a big chance. Yeah, um, it really was. It, uh, it, it really was because that was a really, that was a really good build up up the, uh, you know, right up the middle, uh, you know, knocking off to the, one of the, one of the wings uh, and so forth. That was a really good chance. And, and so I think in looking back on it where, the, you know, there were some really good chances that were, you know, that ended up going by the wayside uh, and so forth. Um, so, yeah, that was, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and then uh, it, going into the second half, um, so it was, it was one, one, it was a very entertaining uh, at times, very open at times, very technically, very sound 
uh, match going back and forth. There were chances on both ends. I think Byron made a little bit of a tweak in the second half as far as defensively in terms of where they drew their line of engagement uh, with Chelsea moving. You know, they kind of went a little bit back to kind of try to counter a little bit more, uh, particularly after the second goal. But and so I want to talk about Byron's second goal because, again, my heart went into my throat again over akb you know uh trying to get you know trying to save and then i did she actually hit her head on the post yes i think so when she sort of went across again i'm going to save a situation like this this was a it could have been prevent it could have been prevented by far by jon anderson down the right and mm-hmm. on the right hand side she should have got in an earlier challenge and also the ball mm-hmm. should never have been allowed to travel all the way across i think there was a foul an attempted foul in the middle of the pitch um, the, mm-hmm. quite frankly, you know, yes. the, the, the one time the referee seemed to play advantage uh, all game um, was uh, that, that situation. But I, uh, you know, it it all came from a throw in that was a, a ridiculous decision. Um, it quite clearly should have been a Chelsea throw in, and uh, I, I have no idea how the referee thirty yards away felt that they could overrule their lines person, but you know they did. Bayern got on with it, and ultimately, as much as you can say about that, and it, it, you know, it was not it was not scored from inside the buying half. There were plenty of opportunities to stop it. Magnificent strike from Glass cutting inside again. I think AKB possibly uh, a bit unsighted because of the way it came around the defenders, and obviously she tried her hardest to sort of get across. It was well struck curling back in. Um, and yeah, you know, in a game like that, you're going to come against top players that have the ability to do that, and it's uh, you know, mm-hmm. you have to just accept that. That's the nature of the Champions League. And I. Uh, I mean, I, I was, again, as my, my heart was in my throat because I was like, oh my God, you know, she, you know, how hurt is, yeah. is Berger here and so forth. But she was able to continue and move on. It was a really, you know, it was a really good goal, but, yeah. but everything that led to that shot was like a, a series of, of, of little errors that yeah. led to it, um, you know, from the throw in to essentially there was a, I mean, what clearly was a foul, but advantage was played uh, and then it just kind of went on from there which led to that um but did you think in the 73rd minute a g's shot was actually going to go in they hit the crossbar um and so forth because that was a rocket i i had hoped it was going to go in unfortunately it's one of those ones where it she almost struck it a bit too well it needed to be a bit more yes. sort of sliced, and if yes. it had been a bit more sliced, I think it would have come down and sort of arced in an odd way over the crossbar. Either way, the keeper wasn't going to get near it. Um, I, I will say, and I've said this a couple of times, and Mitch responses that I think Bayern were very lucky to not concede a penalty on the rebound because the defender came in and shoved Beth England as she jumps up for the header, um, and I thought they were very lucky to get away with that sort of that move. It was. What people would call, if you get away with it, it's cute and clever defending. But if there was video assistant referees, I'm not endorsing using them in UWCL or in WSL. We get no, uh, you know, we'd be spending ages deliberating over stupid decisions. But if they had been that in the game, I think they probably would have looked at it and I think they would have penalised them. Um, it was one of those sort of situations where Chelsea had another couple of chances. Beth England's header that went over, I thought she should have done better with. There was that late one where Sam Kerr was just crowded out. It just felt like. In the second half, if um, if the first goal was sort of an example of the ball falling lucky for Chelsea, then the second half was an example of the, every bounce just seemed to fall badly or, you know, 
when they took it inside, they just took a little too heavy a touch or there was a defender in the way or the final ball wasn't quite right. In the final third, it just wasn't quite clicking. And that sort of caused a problem. What I will I will say was a bit disappointing from my perspective was how how much towards the very end of it, it sort of became hit and hope. And we're not mm-hmm. really like that. And there was so much trying to force passes. And the better thing I think would have been to get it out wide to Dean Charles and getting her running at the defenders. Because every time she ran at them, she was either getting fouled or going around them and mm-hmm. would have presented better angles for the attack. But ultimately, 2-1, very much still in the tie. Um, and, you know, it'll be a good test of character, as Emma Hayes said for the team next week. She's promised that she'll get them to give the performance their lives, and I have no doubt that she will. I think with, you know, Magda Eriksson hopefully back, Chelsea will look different defensively. They'll look a lot more calm. I think maybe you might also see Erin Cuthbert come into the midfield. I think you'll see Sophie Ingle back in that midfield as well. Um, And hopefully, you know, they can turn it around at Kings Meadow. And they don't have another game in between now and the next the second leg, right? Yeah, but yeah, they have a week break for the first time in a long, long time. Yeah, so that will be advantageous uh, on both ends. And uh, I, I was surprised. I, I mean, I, I totally agree, Rob. Uh, there were so many like little moments where I guess we've gotten so. I, I well, at least I can speak for myself. I've gotten so used to Chelsea getting those those chances and converting them, uh, and the ball bouncing just their way. Uh, and you know, someone there at the right moment at the right time and, and and so forth and them converting their chances. And when I didn't see that happen, I was like, Hmm, this is weird. (laughs) I'm not used to this. Uh, so yeah, it is definitely a, a, I mean, I mean, the moment for me was like the, that free kick that G had in the 90 uh, in stoppage time. Uh, where I was like, this is where I would expect Chelsea to convert this. This is a free kick opportunity where that ball was. I was like, this is, I could see them getting drawn this thing 2-2 and and, and so forth and going home uh, at at that 2-2, which, you know, you're absolutely right. It's certainly much more advantageous scoreline for the reasons you stated, but it didn't, it just didn't happen. Uh, and so forth. So, uh, so yes, it is a, I mean, every team that gets their hands on a trophy has to go through these sort of really adverse moments where they really got to do a gut check mentally, physically, and otherwise uh, to pull something out. And this is the moment uh, that that's come, you know, and so they got a week to prepare. Who was your player of the match for Chelsea in this, for, uh, in this match? Oh, um, I thought Melly Lurpols had a very good game in the midfield against her former side. She was clearly very fired up um, and played well. I thought Jess Carter did well at right fullback. And again, it, the lack of Bayern attacking down that wing sort of showed that they felt that that wasn't really an advantageous area to go through. I thought Ingle did well at the back as well, I think would be. Ingle, I think, considering it wasn't a normal position, I think she played well as the uh, you know the auxiliary centre-half and... Uh, they, they said it brilliantly on the commentary. It's a bit like when Liverpool have to bring Fabinho back into the back four, into the defence. He's a very good player and is a very good defender in his own right, but you lose so much from the midfield without him being there. And that's the same with Sophie Ingle. She's a very good defender and can play centre-back, you know, quite aptly. And in the WSL, I think against, I think against 90% of the teams, Chelsea can quite comfortably get away with that. But it's when you come up against, you know, the better opposition in Europe who have the ability to, you know, pick the areas in behind 
the Ingle Anderson sort of axis that causes the issues. And that's what Bayern did today to, you know, to a T. Rob, final question. And this is the hot seat question. What's going to happen next weekend, second leg? There will be 90 minutes of football with a referee blowing halftime in the middle. <laughs> All right. All right, Rob. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not, the most non-committal response of anything ever. And that was classic. Thank one you. Of the, <laughs> one of the two teams will advance to the – One of the world fans. Okay. So you are definitely not in the prediction game. All right. Thank you so much, Rob. Uh, Rob, I really appreciate your insight. Great, great analysis. Great everything, Rob. I really appreciate it uh, and so forth. Um, I look forward to talking with you uh, after the second leg to see if your prediction comes true. I, I hope it will. <laughs> I hope there will be a game and there'll be a stoppage somewhere in the middle with a we- with a referee blowing a whistle or two. All right, everybody, this is it. Tomorrow is is Big Monday, as we normally have. We're going to have Mark from the Barmy Army talking about Manchester United win against Tottenham today, 4-0. Uh, talk to him about that. We'll also have Emma on to talk about Manchester City. Uh, that will be tomorrow. And then we'll have Josh back on Tuesday to talk about Arsenal uh, and their game earlier today. So in the meantime, England is burning his closing for Sunday. And just remember that the light is out there. Please acknowledge it. Let it become part of you. But also we have to acknowledge, unfortunately, that the darkness is out there as well. Please do not let the darkness hug you under any circumstance. But if it does, get support for yourself. Get help for yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And England is burning is closing. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Smash a like on the like if you're watching and please share the podcast. We're on all the podcast platforms. Word of mouth is what has grown this podcast video cast in leaps and bounds. Thank you so much. And England is burning is closing for today. Take care, everybody. And thank you so much. <laughs>